Thank you, Dave. Really special day to be here at Central and to witness your first baptism. Excellent. A little Ernie, really good. I remember when, when Thomas started coming to Kermoney Church, he was a student then, and um, he was part of our home group. And it was really good to be able to get to know him and see uh, God's hand upon his life. And then there was a picnic, I think, at Carnfunnock, and Helen turned up. And then, then all of a sudden this relationship blossomed and developed, and here we are now, there are four of them as a family, and it's great to be here today to celebrate and, and enjoy um, family life together in God's presence and to give thanks for all that God has done. As Dave had said, you're, as a church, working your way through the book of Nehemiah, you find yourself in chapter 9 today. We're going to read a couple of sections of this long chapter, which is a long prayer basically, and we're going to learn a few things about prayer as we read. So I think the words are going to be on the screen. You can also turn it up in your uh, app if you have a Bible on your phone or something like that, or you can just listen along. But this is a prayer of God's people. We're not sure exactly the name of the person who prays. It might be like a community prayer when they come together before God and say some things that they are aware of that have happened in their past and among their ancestors and also declare some things about themselves, declare some things about who they know God to be. And uh, the title or theme for today is Wide-Eyed Sight. So let me just pray, actually, before, before we read God's Word. God, we believe that your Word speaks today. We believe that this is not just black ink on white paper, but living Word that is relevant to our lives We believe that you have stuff to say to us, that you communicate your God who speaks. And so we ask that as we read this word, that it would be intelligible to us, that it would penetrate our hearts and our lives, that it would fill us with hope. Grant us peace and assurance about our future. And give us love for one another in the world that you've placed us in. For it's in Jesus' name we ask it. Amen. So the people say, you alone are the Lord. You made the heavens, even the highest heavens, and all their starry host, the earth and all that is on it, the seas and all that is in them. You give life to everything, and the multitudes of heaven worship you. You're the Lord God who chose Abram and brought him out of Ur of the Chaldeans and named him Abraham. You found his heart faithful to you, and you made a covenant with him to give him his descendants, to give his descendants the land of the Canaanites, Hittites, Amorites, Perizzites, Jebusites, Girgashites. You have kept your promise because you are righteous. You saw the suffering of our ancestors in Egypt. You heard their cry at the Red Sea. You sent signs and wonders against Pharaoh, against all his officials and all the people of his land. For you knew how arrogantly the Egyptians treated them. You made a name for yourself, which remains to this day. You divided the sea before them so that they passed through it on dry ground, but you hurled their pursuers into the depths like a stone into mighty waters. By day you led them by pillar of cloud, and by night with a pillar of fire to give them light on their way to where they were to go. You came down on Mount Sinai, You spoke to them from heaven. You gave them regulations and laws that are just and right and decrees and commands that are good. You made known to them your holy Sabbath and you gave them commands and decrees and laws through your servant Moses. In their hunger, you gave them bread from from heaven. And in their thirst, you brought them water from the rock. You told them to go in and take possession of the land you had sworn with uplifted hand to give to them. 
but they, our ancestors, became arrogant, stiff-necked, and they did not obey your commands. And then if we jump down to verse 30, the prayer continues on. Sorry, let me just find it. For many years, you were patient with them by your spirit. You warned them through your prophets. Yet, they paid no attention. So you gave them into the hands of the neighboring peoples. But in your great mercy, you did not put an end to them or abandon them. For you are gracious and merciful God. Now, therefore, our God, the great God, mighty and awesome, who keeps his covenant of love, do not let all this hardship seem trifling in your eyes. The hardship that has come on us, our kings and our leaders, on our priests and our prophets, on our ancestors and all your people, from the days of the kings of Assyria until today, and all that has happened to us, you have remained righteous. You have acted faithfully while we have acted wickedly. Our kings, our leaders, our priests, our ancestors did not follow your law. They did not pay attention to your commands or statutes. You warned them to keep, even while they were in their kingdom, enjoying your goodness to them in the spacious and fertile land you gave them. They did not serve you or turn from their evil ways. But see, we are slaves today, slaves in the land you gave to our ancestors so that they could eat its fruit and the other good things it produces. Because of our sins, it's the abundant harvest that goes to the kings that you've placed over us. They rule over our bodies and our cattle as they please. We are in great distress. We end there giving thanks to God for his word to us because we believe he speaks to us today. You need to brace yourselves because coming soon is photograph after photograph of people's toes at the edge of the pool. Uh, Photograph after photograph of cocktails by the beach. Photograph after photograph of temperature gauges to let you know what temperature your friends are enjoying on holiday. That is coming your way soon if you haven't already seen it on social media. The next wave of photographs is nearly as bad. They look really similar to the photographs that you saw three weeks ago. And then these photographs are, this time three weeks ago, (laughs) I was in Ibiza enjoying these temperatures, this cocktail, and um, this scenery. We love a good throwback, don't we? We love a throwback Thursday, uh, TBT. We we love those memories that come back up um, on our Facebook feed, or you maybe get them through Google Photos and like rediscover this day. And and chapter 9 of Nehemiah is a prayer that basically rediscovers the day that the people find themselves in. They're praying and they're thinking, do you remember that day years and years and years ago? It's like they're swiping through the family album, saying, oh, look at that. Look what happened here. Look at your hair. You know, there's embarrassing photos back here in the family album of how God's people have behaved. But they discover some things about God's treatment of their ancestors in the past. And so verse 6 says, you made the heavens and the earth and the starry host and all that is on it. And so they're reminding themselves that there was a day when God made everything. God created everything from nothing. You saw the suffering of our forefathers in Egypt. You heard their cry at the Red Sea, verse 9. So they're, they're going back to historical events that happened among their people. And they're reminding themselves of who God is. For 40 years, you sustained them in the desert. 
They lacked nothing. Their clothes did not wear out. Verse 21. This prayer is historical. It's a historical prayer that lists and recounts how God has treated his people in the past. How how God has dealt with the Israelites over time. And and they recount it in, in the prayer just to remind themselves how God has responded to the people, how he has treated them. If you've been at Central for a while now and been reading through the book of Nehemiah yourself, heard Dave and other people preach on it, you'll know it It kind of reads like a leader's diary or leader's memoirs. And um, there's also you know, other stuff in there. It's a bit like a teacher's rule book at times, just a big list of names you know, that you can't really pronounce. And then some of it just looks like a list from B&Q because there's all this uh, you know, building materials as they uh, rebuild the walls and engage in a, in a renewal project in the city. If you haven't been here, a quick kind of summary is that God's people were exiled from Jerusalem. They were out of the city. Nehemiah hears about how this place that he loves is, is in desperation, is in a terrible state. His heart is distressed for it. He longs to go back and and to renew the city. He engages other people and is involved in a building project. We're now in the book in chapter 9. The the building project is pretty much complete. The wall's back again. And things are prosperous and good, um, materially, physically good. And yet, God's people are ignoring God. God's people have rejected him. And so unsurprisingly, they're they're experiencing difficulty again. There are consequences to their actions. They're they're experiencing slavery, injustice, pain, hardship in the homeland. The Persians are are oppressing them. And they're feeling like, this is is home, but it doesn't really feel like home. Things are not like we want them to be. They're experiencing difficult days. What do you do in difficult days? You know, how do you react what do you do when things land in your life that you weren't, you didn't double click on? You didn't add to your basket? It's like, well, I wasn't really anticipating this coming next day delivery into my life. Redundancy, cancer, divorce, you know, tension. I, w- I wasn't expecting this. I didn't choose it. I didn't select it. But I, it arrived at my door. And, and that's the kind of environment that they find themselves in. Difficult circumstances that they didn't double click on, that they didn't choose. How do you respond? Their response is incredible. We just read it. They respond in prayer. It's really refreshing. There's a collective public confession of how their ancestors have behaved. Collective public confession of how they as a people have behaved. It's like they go back into their history and tag themselves in unflattering photographs and say, oh, Do you remember we did this hideous thing? Do you remember we ignored God that way? They trace themselves to embarrassing situations before God. I'm not talking about like global hyper-color t-shirts or shell suits or embarrassing things that you have in your past. You know, I do have in family albums uh, photographs of me with curtains, like I don't mean the kind that you would pull, but the, mind, the kind that were on my hair, uh, on my head, and that went like so, sort of below the jawline <laughs> curtains. You can imagine that with an undercut right up underneath, you know, like zero. Um, and yeah, I'll not be tagging myself in any photographs to kind of reveal that to anybody, but this is what they do. They say things like, our forefathers became arrogant and stiff-necked and did not obey your commands. They refused to listen and failed to remember the miracles you performed among them. 
They say, that's verse 17, verse 18, they cast for themselves an image of a calf and said, this is your God who brought you out of Egypt. This is who we are. This is who we can trace ourselves back to. They, they churn up embarrassing events about themselves in the presence of God. When I think about how I spent the summer as a child, for me, I think of Sunshine all the time, mostly spent at Browns Bay, drinking real Coke out of the cool bag, you know, it was out of a cool bag with ice in it, it was brilliant. We spent the whole days, the all my whole summer holidays there, um, on the beach, it was glorious. When I talked to my mum, however, she said, we ever got about three days like that when I was a child, and the rest of the time was me in the living room looking out at the rain falling at the window and assuring her that the rain had stopped now so I could go out and play. <laughs> I have a tainted view of the past. I have a rose-tinted view of what my past was like, and my mum assures me that it's different. And this is not the case for the Israelites. They don't have, you know, they haven't glazed over their past and said it was, it was all sunshine in the past. They cast up these embarrassing events. It's not revisionist history. They recount things as it really was. Why on earth would you do that? Why would you say to God in prayer, God, here's how it really was years ago. This is an honest prayer. It's historical, but it's honest. The Israelites in Nehemiah's day have an honest grasp of themselves and an honest grasp of of their past. Why would you bring it up? Like if you'd offended someone in in the past and you started to talk about it, the conversation would be awkward. You'd be like, oh, can we just move on? Can we just keep going? And it's striking here that they spend a lot of time talking about these situations that would make it be awkward in God's presence. Our forefathers, do you remember? Do you remember how my granda was really awkward and arrogant before you? Like, who, who starts a conversation that way? Well, these guys seem to do it. What we do is try and avoid it and make excuses for how we misbehaved. We don't, we don't want to talk about it. And if it does come up, then we say, well, actually, it wasn't that bad. If you've offended someone in the past or, or hurt them, you want to try and move the conversation on. Let's not talk about that. Let's skirt around the issue. But they name it right before God. And it's really strange. They kind of divert, they don't divert the conversation away like, like you and I would. On the 11th of March this year, Jamie Carragher, football pundit and former Liverpool player, spat out the window of his car at a fan who was abusing him on the the motorway. He was filmed spitting out the window and actually he didn't get the person who was abusing him. He spat on the passenger who was in the car who happened to be the teenage daughter of the girl who was giving him a hard time. And because it was on video, it ended up online and lots of people saw it and he ended up losing his job or being suspended from his job on Sky TV. And he tweeted an apology, and this is his apology, totally out of order. And I've apologized personally to all the family this evening. I was goaded three to four times along the motorway while being filmed and lost my rag. No excuse, apologies. See, if he hadn't said I was goaded three to four times on the motorway, then he could have said no excuse. But that sounds like an excuse. It sounds like my kids who say, he hit me first in the, in the garden when I hear tears. I'm like, why did you hit him? He hit me first. It's an excuse. Because 
We ex- try to excuse ourselves when, when we think there's going to be a price to pay for our, our disobedience. And we want to minimize the cost and say, actually, what I did wasn't that bad. And so Jimmy Carragher tries to minimize the cost. The only reason we draw attention to the extenuating circumstances is we think, I'm going to have to pay for this. And so we need to reduce the cost down so it doesn't hurt me too much. And, and in this uh, prayer of Nehemiah chapter 9, the people don't reduce the cost. They're really honest about their past. They don't do self-defense. They open up their lives. It's raw, honest confession. And the reason they do it is fascinating. The reason they do it is because they know God. They know God. They know what God is like. There's a confidence among the people that he, he repeatedly meets guilt with grace. There's a confidence among the people that, that he repeatedly brings mercy for our mess. He, he comes with forgiveness for our failure. And because they know that, they present their failures to the one who can deal with them. They present their mess to the one who gives mercy. They, they're honest in prayer. Throughout this prayer, there are good news bombs and explosions going off as, as you read through. Little snippets that kind of help us to understand the character of God. Help us to work out, this is who he is. This is how he treats people who disobey. There's good news bombs or gospel bombs going off throughout this prayer because it helps us to understand the character of God. They flag up the nature of God. Verse 17, the people rebel and God responds with love. Verse 28, they did what was evil in your sight and in your compassion you delivered them. Verse 33, and all that has happened to us, you have been just. You have acted faithfully while we did wrong. If you're the kind of person who likes to highlight in your Bible or likes to bookmark in the app in your phone, verse 17, verse 28, verse 33, they're the kind of verses that enable you to understand the character of God and mean that you will run to him when you mess up rather than run away from him. You think, I'm in a mess. I need forgiven. Where should I go? Run to God. Run to him, not away from him in your mess. Elise Fitzpatrick says this. I think it's brilliant. The benefits of God's grace, never dependent on the faithfulness of human beings. The benefits of God's grace has never depended on the faithfulness of human beings. Not down to us. God gives us his grace when we are guilty. Grace and love like mighty rivers poured incessant from above. Heaven's peace and perfect justice kissed the guilty world in love. Grace for the guilty, for you and for me. The prophet Micah says, who is a God like you who pardons sin and forgives the transgressions of the remnant of his inheritance. You do not stay angry forever, but delight to show mercy. You see, you can be honest in prayer when, when you know that God delights to show mercy. You think, God, th- this is what you're good at. This is your specialist chosen subject, showing mercy. So I'm going to come with my mess because you're the person who I should bring it to. No one else can take this away from me. No one else can deal with my life right now. You're the one who can transform it. You're the one who can forgive it. You're the one who can make me clean. God meets our fickleness with his faithfulness over and over and over and over again. That's what Nehemiah 9 is. God coming to a fickle people and saying, I'm faithful. 
you messed up again, but I'm here with open arms and I love you. When I forget this, I become like a person who takes their car to the car wash and stands in front of it when the guy brings the hose out and says, not a bad. <laughs> Try and cover up the mess and say, well, yeah, my car's filthy, but you should see that other guy's car. It's really dirty. When I forget that God is the one who cleans up my life, I try and pretend I'm, I'm not that bad. I, I have a problem with control. I'm a control freak. And so my daughter was taking a long time to eat her breakfast, and I needed to be somewhere. She's three years old. She's got curly blonde hair. She's beautiful and biased, right? But she's cute, and I screamed in her face, Eat up! Like, really loud. I just totally lost the plot because there was further evidence that I wasn't in control. I couldn't make a three-year-old eat her breakfast. It was another reminder in my life of the many things that I am weak at. The many things that I can't control. It's ridiculous. I had to apologize for it and come to her and say, Rosa, I'm sorry. I shouldn't have, shouldn't have shouted at you. Daddy shouldn't have shouted at you. And then I worked out that she had them. Um, we figured out a day later that she had tonsillitis. <laughs> And her throat was sore. <laughs> and that's why she was holding the food in her mouth. But I had somewhere to be and she was going slow when I felt, <laughs> I felt terrible. Right? That's like, what an idiot. And, and I need to apologize to her. And I regularly need to come before God and say, God, I haven't, got my, I haven't got things in control, but I believe you do. And I'm sorry for my reaction. You see, nobody looks at Scripture and sees the demands that God places upon our lives and says, God's law completed it, mate. God completed it. Nobody looks at the demands of, of Jesus Christ upon our lives and say, yeah, completed it, sorted. We all feel that we have fallen short. And just in conclusion today, I, I love what this guy, Matt Capps, has written about this passage. I think it's a brilliant summary for us today. It's in the He Reads Truth app, and he, he says, Because of the gospel, when I prayerfully read scripture, I'm able to see that God has been faithful to his people from generation to generation. Because of the gospel, when I read scripture, I can see that God has been faithful to his people from generation to generation. When I read scripture, because of the gospel, when scripture reads me, I can openly pray and confess my unfaithfulness, knowing that he is faithful to forgive me and to cleanse me of all unrighteousness. This is how scripture shapes our prayer. It gives us the words to shout, Oh God, you made a name for yourself that endures to this day. You see, we read scripture and scripture reads us. That's what happens. It, it opens us up to show what we're really like and we run to God, not away from him, because he's a God of grace who delights to show mercy. And it's the same God that we read of in Nehemiah in this book today that's present with us. It says this name endures to this day. It endures to this day. I'm a Liverpool supporter, so sometimes I hear the fans singing, you know, low lie the fields of Anfield Road, where once we watched King Kenny play and he could play. Steve Highway on the wing. And they sing about all these players from a previous generation. Kenny Leglise is like 67 now. He'd be terrible at football. His powers of faded He's got weak and slow and old. They didn't endure to this day. He once was great, but now he's not. He once was King Kenny, but he, he's wearing out like the rest of us. But God's name endures to this day. God's power endures to this day. God's mercy endures to this day. His grace endures to this day. And so when you read the New Testament, you see things like Luke 15, where it says, 
Now the tax collectors and sinners were all gathering around to hear Jesus. Why would the sinners come to Jesus? Well, he's the one who delights to show mercy. And so sinners should run to him, not away from him. That's what we discover in the book of Nehemiah. That's what we discover in every book of the Bible. The people who are in need of mercy should come to Jesus. People who are fickle should come to the faithful one and seek him. He delights to show it. You have acted faithfully. We have acted faithlessly. God meets your guilt with his grace over and over and over again. I want to pray in just a moment for us as a people to receive that grace. If you want to get into the book of Nehemiah, you can read it. Read chapter 9 again this week and maybe highlight those verses where there is good news. I have a couple of copies of this book that's two pounds. It's a Bible reading guide, a study aid that would help you start to begin to read scripture and encourage you to do that. You can get one of those from me afterwards. Maybe you just want to write down your own history. Some point this week, get out a notebook, write down how God has been faithful to you while you have behaved in a fickle way. Do you know, his grace is still sufficient for you. Nobody's too far gone today. You didn't make a bad decision years ago and it's wrecked the rest of your life. You are not a victim. His mercy is enough for you today. You're not defined by your failures. You're defined by the forgiveness of God. So you can be free, free from your past and filled with hope for your future. Let's take a moment just to pray and then I think we're going to worship again, is that right? Let's just take a moment to pray. God, we thank you so much for your word. We do believe it speaks today and we ask that it would penetrate our hearts, that some of what we've read or thought about today would relate, connect to our circumstances right now. We thank you that All over your word, there are little explosions of good news that arrive in our lives to tell us that there is therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. We bless you, Lord God, that even though the wages of sin is death, the gift of God is eternal life. We thank you that even though we have acted in a fickle way, you have been faithful, you are faithful, and you will be faithful. We open our hands to that grace that meets our guilt. We open our hands to your mercy for our mess. We open our hands in our faithlessness and in our failure to the forgiveness that you alone supply. Come Holy Spirit and apply this good news to the circumstances of our lives so that we may live for you in this day. We believe that your Lord, your name remains to this day, your power remains to this day. And you're still at work in this day. Amen.